Father, we do give you all the glory. Uh, you are building your church around the world, and you invite us to participate with you. And we're humbled by that and are so grateful for a local church that we can participate in here, where we can give and worship and have community and be a light here in our own county, but also around the world. So we do give you all the glory for what you're doing. And I'm thankful for uh, the opportunity to gather this morning to, uh, to sing to you, to give, to hear your word proclaimed, to interact with other believers. And we pray that you bless this service as we seek to meet with you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me do this real carefully. Thank you, Travis. Oh, in a world filled with bad news, when we gather together, we love to celebrate good news and a couple of items of good news that Jake and Kim Daniels had, Brindley Lou, and we rejoice with them. <clears throat> and then we also rejoice with Je Jeff and Krista with Jay-Z Lane Sachs, and we rejoice with them. <clears throat> and Travis talked about a, a game. Um, do you know why there's a World Cup? Because there's a little bitty country called England. And England developed a beautiful game. And England spread that game around the world. So now all the world plays a game because one nation shared a beautiful game. And as Christians, we have a beautiful Savior. And we know Him. And we get to be a part of spreading the beauty of Christ around the world. And we just heard about happening around the world. And, and, and locally, we rejoice that this week we saw four people who came to faith in Christ through the witness of people here at Good News. There's 173 rings representing different members of our church sharing the gospel and seeing 173 people come to faith in Christ. And, I, and let's give God thanks for that. But what excites me even more than that, last year we had 21 of our members lead someone to faith in Christ, and I was praying that we would double that this year. I'm not good at math, but that would make 42. And a couple of weeks ago, we hit 42, and this past week, we had two other people lead someone to faith in Christ, so we've seen 45 people have a chance to lead a friend to faith in Christ, and, and I want to thank God for that. That is so amazing, and, and what really excites me is to think about next year, what if God does next year what He did this year? That would be 90. And then how about the year after that? If we trusted God and continued to disciple, what if you then had 180 people have the opportunity to lead a friend? Wouldn't you love to be a part of such a movement of God? You can. And, and, and I want to thank all of you who financially support Good News. Thank you that you're investing in making disciples here and around the world. And a couple of weeks ago, I shared with you some financial challenges we were facing, and several of you have really given above and beyond. Thank you for what you've done. If, if you're able, as the year closes out, to give something extra, that would really help us to finish the year in a good financial place. Okay. Uh, recently, I was with a man, and he said his mother was studying for her finals. He said she was getting close to dying. And so the question I ask him, have you ever wondered how many questions are on the finals? And uh, have you? And I thought, uh, probably just one. 
just one question, and, and that's what we're going to be unpacking today, a question that Jesus asked his disciples a long time ago. And, and here's the question. The point of today's message is, who do you say that I am? Uh, I believe that is the question on the finals is Jesus says to us, who do you say that I am? And, and I want you to know that all of life illustrates biblical truth. The reason that question is so important is all of life illustrates biblical truth. And what we learn in life is it's not how good you are that matters most, but what? But who you know. It's, that's what matters most, doesn't it? Remember last August I had pneumonia? The one Sunday I tried to preach, that was a bad idea. But I had pneumonia, and I was told that I needed to see a lung specialist, but no lung specialist would see me. But I have a friend. I have a friend who's a doctor. And so I called my friend who's a doctor, and he called a friend of his who was a lung doctor, and then guess what? I got in. And the reason I got in wasn't because of how good I am, it's because of who I know. And all of life illustrates that what matters most in life is not how good we are, but who we know. And better yet, what? Who knows? Who knows us? And, and, and that's Jesus. And that's why we've spent the last couple of months walking through a series called um, uh, Who Does Jesus Think He Is? And we've looked at the seven great I Am's in John. We looked out, I am the bread of life and the light of the world and the door and the good shepherd and the resurrection and the life and the way, the truth, and the life and the vine. And then we said, but wait, there's more. And we had two bonuses. And, and Jesus said, before Abraham was born, I am. And then last week, we heard Jesus say that I am the one you're searching for. And today, we're going to move from the Gospel of John to the Gospel of Matthew so if you have your Bible, turn with me to Matthew 16. If you don't have a Bible, bring one. Because if you open it up, it will, it will smell like Jesus. So Matthew 16, and I'm going to give you a question, and I want you to answer this correctly. How many Gospels are there? Ooh, we have two opinions. We have a four and we have a one. There is... One gospel, right? There is the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we have four accounts of that gospel. The four accounts are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So in Matthew 16, this is a turning point in this book that Jesus is turning from really the multitudes, and now he's really, really focusing on a few. He's focusing on his disciples, which is important. Because our purpose as a church, right? I mean, our purpose as a church is to, is to make disciples together, right? And we want to make disciples Jesus-style. So this morning, we get a chance to see how Jesus discipled his small group so we can be disciples and make disciples like Jesus did. Matthew 16, verse 13. <clears throat> now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi... Uh, if, if you're a little familiar with Bible geography, there's two Caesareas. One Caesarea is on the Mediterranean, but this Caesarea Philippi is, is north of the Sea of Galilee. It's about 25 miles north. Jesus takes a leadership retreat where he grabs his disciples, and they retreat deep into Gentile territory. So they're leaving kind of the Jewish geography, and they're going to Caesarea Philippi, deep into Gentile territory. 
And he was asking his disciples on this leadership retreat, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Notice Son of Man, that's Jesus' favorite self-description. Jesus most often refers to himself as the Son of Man. And I want you to know that's a messianic term. It's right out of Daniel. Uh, but what he, but what he asked is, uh, what's the word on the street? Uh, what's the word on the street? You guys have been out on some short-term mission trips. Uh, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they, notice, all of them, they said, some say John the Baptist and others Elijah, but still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. <laughs> Remember Herod? Herod had, uh, had beheaded uh, John the Baptist, and so he was afraid that he'd come back from the dead. So some said John the Baptist. Others said Elijah, because the Old Testament said that before Jesus came, Elijah would come again. And some said prophets. <clears throat> they spared him some of the better answers, didn't they? Because some people called him Beelzebul. They called him the devil, so they spared him that. And others said he was, what, a wine-bibber or a glutton? But for three years, Jesus had been teaching them that I am fully God and fully man. For three years, he's fully God and fully man. And he asked the question, and he had to be disappointed. Don't you feel his disappointment? That after three years, they still didn't get it. They gave woefully inadequate answers. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And the real emphasis is, but you. And I also want you to know the you here is second person plural, but who do y'all say that I am? And certainly we live in a culture where if you ask people, there's many opinions about who Jesus is. But the real question today is, who do you, who do you say that I am? That's the question of all questions, but who do you? Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered. Now notice in verse 14 when he asked, who do people say? They said, but now Simon Peter. Um, you ever watch Family Feud? Uh, you ever watch Family Feud if they get a chance to steal a question? The family, what? They, they gather in a circle, right? They gather in a circle, and, and, and then they come up with an answer, and then the spokesman speaks on behalf of the family, Right? Well, that's probably what happened here. The, the disciples got together and they discussed among themselves and then Peter speaks up as the spokesman for the twelve. Simon answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Oh, what a beautiful, what a beautiful confession of faith that must have greatly encouraged Jesus. Um, notice what he says, you are the Christ. It's important you understand that's not Christ is not Jesus' last name. You did know that, right? Jesus is his name, which means Savior, and Christ is a, it's a title. It's a title. It means the Messiah, the anointed one. So what he says is, you're the one we've been waiting for, the one Jewish people have been waiting for, the Messiah. Uh, you are the Messiah. Notice what he says next, the Son not a son, but you are the son, the one and only son of God the Father, the son of the living God. They were in, they were in a, a Gentile area. They were in a city that was full of idols made of wood and made of metal. They were dead. <laughs> but you, you're the son of the living God, the God who's alive, the great I am, the God who gives life to people, the God who gives eternal life to people.
Oh, how that must have encouraged Jesus that his, his small group, his 12, were beginning to get it. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you. How happy are you? How blessed are you, Simon Barjona? Because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And flesh and blood means man. Listen, you are so blessed, Peter, and all the disciples, because man didn't reveal this to you, but my Father revealed this to you. Listen, if we know anything about Jesus, if we know anything about Jesus, the reason we know it about Jesus is because the Father has revealed it to us. Oh, let me show you in John chapter 6. Listen, this is Jesus. No one, and that would include who? You and me. That no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. This is what's called effectual calling, effectual calling that when Jesus wants to save someone, he sends someone to share the gospel, but he doesn't just send someone to share the gospel, he sends the Holy Spirit, and he sends the Holy Spirit to raise the dead because we'd never come to Jesus on our own. He sends the Holy Spirit to open blind eyes and unstop deaf ears and loosen mute tongues and soften hard hearts and to show us our sin and convict us, and to show us the beauty of Jesus so we would say yes. And so if you know Jesus today, won't you thank him? Wow, thank you. Thank you for drawing me to my, yourself. I would never have gotten to you on my own. No one can come to the Father unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Um, Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. <clears throat> First thing happening here, there's a little word play going on. You have Peter's name, and you have the Greek word for rock, which is Petra. So he's playing a little word game here with Peter's name and a rock. Uh, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock, confessing Christ, I will build my church. And this is the first time, the first time the word church occurs in the Bible is here. And by the way, the word church is only used in Matthew's gospel, and it's used in two places, that's it. Jesus says, I will build, what? My church. You see, after Jesus died and rose, he ascended into heaven, and on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was poured out, and the church was birthed. The church came to life. And Jesus said, I will build my church out of those who confess faith in me, just like Peter did. And then Jesus gave his church a purpose, which was to go and make disciples of all the nations. And um, so he's building his church out of people like you and me. That once we connect to the head of the body, Jesus, it's very important we find a local expression of his body and join that and connect to that. And, and here's why. Look at this verse in 1 Peter. And coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. What did the world do to Jesus? What did the world do? Crucified him. The world killed Jesus. And, and yet to us, Jesus is precious. He's our Savior, right? He's precious. So 
When we come to the head of the body, Jesus, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. The Christian life is personal, but it's not private. We're to be connected not only to Jesus, but to his body because all of us play an important part in the body. You also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We use a term here called gospel partners, and it's kind of an obtuse term, and why don't you just say volunteers? Here's why. I grew up in a family, and I was never considered a volunteer. My parents never asked me to volunteer to do the dishes. They never asked me to volunteer to cut the grass. You know what they said? I'm a member of a family. And there's privileges belonging to a family. I had a bed to sleep in. I was blessed, right? And I had food to eat. I had the love of my parents. But listen, I had responsibility too because I was a member of the family. I was connected to a family. And that's what it's like to be in the body of Christ. We're gospel partners. We're not volunteers. We're members of the body. And it matters whether we're here <laughs> because we gather as gospel partners. We gather as disciples. We gather as disciple makers to make disciples together. And then we scatter. We scatter as, as gospel partners. We scatter as disciple makers to make disciples wherever we go. Listen, we don't gather as consumers. We don't gather as customers. We gather as members, as gospel partners, as disciples. It matters so much we gather. It matters when we scatter because we're the body of Christ through whom he's accomplishing his purpose of making disciples who can make disciples so that the world would know Jesus. And all of us have a part to play in that. Um, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now notice this, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Listen, gates are a weapon of defense. Gates are used to defend. They don't move. They're not offensive. And what Jesus is saying is his church is to storm the gates of hell and set prisoners free. I talk to so many Christians who are so discouraged and they want to move out from the mean old world and live by themselves. They're retreating. <laughs> no. Jesus says his church is advancing. His church is storming the gates of hell to set prisoners free. What a great time to be a Christian. There are lost people everywhere around us. Jesus says, go and set them free. I mean, you do remember his last command. Uh, Travis used the word. It's, it's called the Great Commission. Uh, it's in Matthew 28. And, and, and listen, please don't embarrass me. If you're ever on a game show and they ask you, what is the Great Commission? Please, please remember this. I mean, after all, it's called the Great Commission, Okay. And here it is, and Jesus spoke to them, came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Yes, the devil is real, but he's no match for Jesus. Jesus says, I have all authority. I have it. All authority in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore. Why? Because he has authority. Go. Storm the gates of hell. Set prisoners free. Go, therefore, because of who I am, and make disciples of all the nations. 
Win people to Christ, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. Go, win, and build, and equip, and multiply, and lo. You know what that means? Look! Open your eyes as you go to storm the gates of hell. I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm in you. I'm for you. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Oh, man. Wouldn't it be great to be a part of a church that all of us believe we were gospel partners, we're all disciple makers, and we believe that Jesus is greater than our enemy, and we're here on earth to charge the gates of hell and set prisoners free. Um, and to encourage us in this, uh, notice what Jesus says next, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. He gives us the gospel. It's the keys to the kingdom. It's the power of God able to save anyone who believes. And so Jesus sends us out armed with the, the keys of the kingdom, the gospel, to set prisoners free. When we preach the gospel and the Holy Spirit moves, dead people come to life and prisoners are set free. Listen, as we go and preach that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way, every prisoner who believes is set free, and those who reject the gospel, they're bound in their sins. Then he warned the disciples that they should tell no one that he was the Christ. Is Jesus using a little reverse psychology here? I mean, he tells us to go and we don't, so maybe he was telling them don't so they would. But that's not it. No, no, no. What they had was an incomplete understanding of the gospel at that time, as we're about to find out. They didn't understand it fully. But after Jesus rose and after the Holy Spirit fell, then it would be time to go and storm the gates of hell, and they would, wouldn't they? From that time, from the time that Peter and the disciples confessed him, from that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. The question is, who do you say that I am? And to accurately answer that question, we need to understand the person, who Jesus is, and we also need to understand the work, the work that Jesus had come to do. And Jesus had been teaching them about who he is so they could say, you are the Christ, the Son, the living God. But now he begins to focus more and more on the work he had come to do. Oh, he had hinted at it before, but now very explicitly, we're headed to Jerusalem. We're headed to the cross. Here's what's going to happen to me. I'm going to be betrayed and deserted and denied and whipped, and I'm going to die on the cross for the sins of my people. But don't worry, don't worry, I will rise on the third day. The cross is central to the mission of Jesus Christ from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go. In order to save us, he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Does it seem like a good idea to rebuke Jesus? Seem like a good idea? Not very good, huh? Oh, Peter says, you'll never go to the cross. I won't let it happen. So here's my question. Did Peter love Jesus? Did he? He did, but his love was what? Very misguided. Do you, do you know what? 
Peter's problem was, it's our problem too. He thought he knew better than Jesus. He said, you know, I mean, that's an okay idea of the cross, but I've got a better idea. I won't let you go there. Isn't that our problem? Every time we sin, isn't that what we say? Jesus, honoring my father and mother, that's a pretty good idea. But I've got a better idea not to do it. Oh, every time we sin, we're acting just like Peter. Oh, as we look at Peter telling Jesus what to do, here's my question. When you pray, are you giving Jesus directions or are you reporting for duty? Hmm? Is most of your prayer telling Jesus what he ought to do? Or, or do you say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? Hey, do you love the Lord's Prayer? I do. It's all about reporting for duty, isn't it? Father, I'm here today. May, me, may we... May we exalt your name in our worship today as we gather. Can we exalt your name as we scatter this way? May we treat your name as holy. And King Jesus, we're here today because we want to follow you and expand your kingdom. Is that how we pray? Jesus, we're here today because we want to do your will. Holy Spirit, change us so that we want to do God's will, not to get God to do our will. Is that how we pray? Oh, your name. Your kingdom, your will. <clears throat> but, he but he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. Um, Peter, you're listening to Satan, not me. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. Peter, you have no idea that you're a stumbling block, that if I don't go to the cross, then there is no way for sinners to be saved. I must go. Huh? Do you know what Peter was? He was a discourager to Jesus. And it was really difficult for Jesus to go to the cross, and he didn't need discouragers around him. He needed encouragers. As a matter of fact, in the next chapter, you know what happens? The Father says what? You are my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. With the Christians in our lives, are we discouragers to them? You can't. You can't. Or are we encouragers to them? Are we encouragers to them? Hmm? Um, listen, Jesus is our model for life and ministry, right? Are there areas in temptation that, that we struggle with? Can, can we learn from Jesus how to deal with the temptation? When Jesus was tempted, how did he respond? Right away, didn't he? And he responded decisively because the longer we entertain a temptation, what? The more likely we are to give in. Jesus dealt with it right away. Get behind me, Satan. I love what someone said. They said, we can't help if a bird lands on our head. But we can't help if the bird builds a nest. I don't know about you, but all kind of crazy temptations come into my mind, and I can't control that. But one thing I can do is follow the model of Jesus when temptation comes in and say, get behind me, Satan. I'm a Christian. That's not a possibility for me. Uh, so the question is, Jesus asks us, who do you say that I am? And what we've learned is about the person and the work of Christ. Who is Jesus? Uh, Peter did such a good job, the disciples, didn't they, back in verse 16? Who is Jesus? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's who you are. 
How about in Colossians 2? Who is Jesus? Look at this. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Isn't that what we're celebrating this week? That God put on flesh and came to earth? You know the story in Matthew 2, right? Ladies, listen. There are wise men. I know you don't believe it. But the wise men came, didn't they? And they found a baby. And what did they do? They worshiped a baby and they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Why? Because the baby was fully God and fully man in, in one person, right? Um, that's the person, the work. Didn't Jesus explain his work well in verse 21? From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. To save us, he must go. He had just prayed about it. Father, is there any other way uh, that, that he will before he went to the cross? And the Father said, there's no other way. And suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Oh, what was his work was to save us from our sins, right? Hmm. Smiley, who is Jesus? He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my best friend. He's my treasure. Is He yours? Is He your Savior? Is He your Lord? Is He your best friend? Is He your treasure? And if He's not, wouldn't you like Him to be? Listen, for Jesus to be our Savior and Lord and best friend and treasure, it's about believing the gospel. It's about believing the gospel. You see, next week's service is called Too Good to Be True, but the gospel is too good and true. But it does contain some bad news, and the bad news is we have a problem called sin. Um, you ever notice in our culture that a lot of people say they're the bad guys and we're the good guys and that? Listen, listen to what the Bible says in Romans 3, verse 23. Will you read this with me? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who does the Bible say is sin? Not just those people, but what? Us people too, and especially me. Do you know what a sin is? A sin is a crime against God. A sin is being just like Peter saying, you know, honoring my father and mother, that's a good idea. But I've got a better idea, and then we don't. That's a crime against God. Don't we do that with all the commandments? How about the ninth commandment? You shall not bear false witness, and we say to that what? That's a pretty good idea, but I've got a better idea. And so we do bear false witness. You think anyone will bear false witness this month? Do you think anybody? Maybe to their own children. Maybe, you think? Why? Because we say... You have a good idea, but what? We have a better idea. And so we commit crime after crime against God, a God who's just, who says what we deserve for what we've done is hell. And that's why Jesus came, because we're all sinners, especially me, and it was the only way. So God the Son put on flesh, came to earth, lived a perfect life, and died for our sins. Our sins placed on Jesus, 
And he experienced the wrath of God for us. He died for our sins. And then he rose on the third day, proving he had conquered sin and death. And he offers us eternal life as a free gift. He offers to forgive us of all of our sins. He offers us the chance to do life in eternity with him. And what does he require of us? That we receive him as our Savior and Lord. Have you? Oh, the verse that Jesus used to change my life. Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Oh, Jesus sent my young life leader to share the gospel with me, and he sent the Holy Spirit. And when I heard the gospel, I saw Jesus, and I saw my sin, and I said, I am in trouble. And so I admitted that I was a sinner. Have you ever done that? If you've never done that, won't you do that? You can do that now. Or when I close in prayer, oh, Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And then I saw how beautiful Jesus was, that he died for me and rose. And I said, Jesus, I believe you died and rose for me. Listen, do you see him? Have you believed him? Won't you believe? And then Jesus said, I want to come in. I said, Jesus, come in and, and be my Savior and forgive me. Won't you? And he did. And, and, and I want you to give me eternal life. And he did. And, and then I said, Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my life. I've made a wreck of my life. You take over. And he did. Won't you? Oh, and if you have, if you have, did you hear what Jesus said? Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Uh, who is Jesus? He's my Savior. Do you know he loved me enough to come and die and rise for me? He's my Lord. He's moved in. He's in charge. Do you know who he is? He's my best friend. Do you know he loves me? Most of you know a little bit about me. And then you say, wow, that's such a mess. But he knows everything about me. And he loves me. He says he's never leaving. Do you know who Jesus is? He's my treasure. Is he yours? Is he your treasure? Not the one who helps you get your treasure, but is he your treasure? Oh, let me show you in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. The king... King Jesus is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, first of all, let me tell you, do you know that you're his treasure? Do you know how much he treasures you? He went and sold everything that he had to buy you. And when that blows you away, then he'll be your treasure too. Oh, Jesus says, I'm his treasure and he's my treasure. And I want you to know when Jesus is our treasure, following him will be our pleasure. When he says, follow me, we'll say gladly. And when Jesus is our treasure, telling others about him will be our pleasure. How can we not tell others about our treasure? And that leads us into the action step that we have this week. What I really want you to do this week is I just want you to ask someone this week, who is Jesus Christ? We spend this whole time talking about him. Just go and ask someone. If someone says, you know, what'd you do this weekend? Well, I went to church and we explored this question. Could I ask you a question? And if they say yes, just who is Jesus Christ? We're just doing a little research in our church and I'd be curious to ask you, who is Jesus? Now, I want you to know I'm learning from Jesus. I always try and go first. Before I ask you to do something, I do it myself. So I went out to eat this past week and, and I was talking to the server and I said, do you have a minute? 
She said yes, and I said, could I ask you a question? She said, okay. And I said, it's Christmas season in our church. We're just doing a little research, and I just wanted to ask you, who is Jesus Christ? And she said, he's my Savior and Lord. And I said, oh, I am so thankful to hear that. And I said, do you have a church to celebrate that with? And she said, no, I just moved here. And so I, I pulled out my invitation that I, that I had with her, and I just said, hey, why don't you come and celebrate his birth with us at Good News? Ah, so this week, won't you ask someone, who is Jesus? Um, if they know, if they know, say, great. Do you have a place to, to celebrate? Won't you come and celebrate with us? If they don't know him and you have the time, why not share the gospel with them? If they don't have the if time, then say, hey, come and celebrate his birth with us. Give them an invitation. My favorite invitation story this week. I'm meeting with some folks that I'm discipling in this <clears throat> One guy, he said, Smiley, I was checking out of a store this week, and he called the cashier by name. And that really impressed me that he remembered her name. And the reason that strikes me is Jesus knew Zacchaeus' name, and he called him by name. And Jesus knows our name. So he, he used her name, and he says, I said, do you have a place to celebrate Christmas? And she said, no. And I said, why don't you come to Good News? And she said, well, what time were the services? Are the services? He forgot his invitation. But you know how much he loved this lady? He went home, and he got his invitation, and he came back, and he gave it to her. And I believe his failure had a greater impression upon her than if he'd have had it, because she thought, this guy wants me to know Jesus so bad, he went, came, and back just to invite me. Um, Jesus is my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my best friend. He's my treasure. How? How could I not invite others to come and know Him? And we have such an amazing opportunity this week to do that. Listen, won't you join our Christmas team? We're all gospel partners. We're all disciple makers. Let's do this together. There's four ways you can be involved. You can pray. Who are the people you want to be here to hear the gospel? Won't you pray for them? Listen, pray before the service, during the service, and after the service. You can invite. <laughs> invite the people you want to see here. Invite everyone you see. <laughs> come. If you're out of town, do one, two, and four. If you're here, come. And come as a gospel partner. Come, as a, come early. Welcome our guest. When it's time to sing. and Listen, participate. When I was invited to Young Life, Long ago, when I went in the room, there was so much love and joy in the room that I said, whatever these people have, I want it. It was so easy for my young life leader to lead me to faith because I already wanted what they had. What if when people came, they saw a people in love with Jesus and joy in the room? Wouldn't people say, I don't know what they have, but they, I sure want it. And you can follow up. Listen, if, if you invite someone and they come and you ask them, did you come to faith in Christ? And they say, yes, ask them if they'd like to follow Jesus with you. You, you say, well, I don't know how. Well, listen, we would be glad to, to disciple you so you could disciple them. Follow up. Let us know of any stories that you have during the week. <laughs> listen, you could mark that on your card and say you'd like to be a part of the team. You could email me. This is my email address. And if you'll say you'd like to be a part of the team, I'll pray for you. 
and I'll pray for you, and, and I'll send you some coaching tips on how you can pray and invite and come and follow up. Who is Jesus Christ? The Holy Spirit has opened my eyes so I know who He is. Do you? And He's my Savior. He's my Lord. He's my best friend. He's my treasure. You know what I'm praying? There's hundreds of thousands of people in our county who don't know Jesus. And can't we do this together? Can't we do this together praying that as we invite, the Holy Spirit will open the eyes of others and they too will say yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus, yes to Jesus. Because the one thing that everyone in this county has in common is that we all need Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for treasuring us. Thank you for giving up everything to come to earth so that we, your treasure, could enjoy you now and forever. Thank you for living. Thank you for dying. Thank you for rising. Thank you for offering us eternal life. Listen, if you hear Jesus knocking on the door of your heart, if you'd like to be forgiven and live with Jesus now and forever, he's here. Won't you tell him? Jesus, I've sinned against you, and I'm sorry. And I believe you died on the cross for my sins and rose. And I want you to come in and be my Savior and forgive me and give me eternal life. I want you to be Lord of my life. Help me be the person you want me to be. Well, if you've done that for the first time, won't you mark it on your card? We'd love to celebrate with you. And Jesus, for all of us who've received you, you're our Savior. Thank you. You're our Lord. We want to follow you. You're our best friend. Thank you for promising to never leave us. Thank you for loving us so well. You're our treasure. Help us to treasure you this week so that following you in all of life will be our pleasure. Jesus, help us to treasure you this week so that we go out and invite everyone to come. Come and meet our treasure. And Lord, we're praying that as we pray and invite that you would fill up both of our campuses and all of our services, services next week, and that as the gospel is shared, Holy Spirit, that you would show up and you would draw many, many, many to yourself. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Smiley. Let's stand.